Mr. Connor is a registered representative and managing principal with Connor Wealth Management. Securities offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA, SIPC. Opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, its guests, and callers, and not those of WLVL, its management, staff, or sponsors. Nothing contained in this program should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security. And if applicable, only after the prospectus has been read and understood by the customer. These decisions can only be made after consideration of an investor's investment objective and the investment suitability. All right, good morning, everybody. Today is Friday, July 7th, 2023. Just so we have that documented, and I am joined in studio this morning with my friend Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. Good morning, Mr. Connor. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? I'm happy. You're you're happy. All yeah. right. That's a pretty simple answer for from a simple guy. That's perfect. Yep. It's a it's Friday. Got things to do, and this is one of them talking about all things finance and the state of things and uh, making sure that your retirement is safe and sound and where it needs to be. Eric has has the answers. I know he does. I have complete faith. In that, but uh, I understand you've been kind of busy the last couple of days, Eric. Yeah, a little, uh, little preparation at the the Connor household or Casa de Connor, I guess you might joke around. <laughs> uh, my daughter Avery graduated uh, last month from Lockport High, and we're having her graduation party this weekend. Um, so, got a little bit of. Uh, Landscape work, a uh, little mulch, a little weed trimming, uh, bush trimming, and uh, knock on wood that the guy shows guys show up today and put up a tent in the backyard so that uh, we've got some coverage for tables and chairs and uh, should go great. Weather looks good for sure does. Uh, for tomorrow. So oh, it's going to be a beautiful day. Should go just fine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so everybody's going to show to Eric's house tomorrow at what time? Uh, starts at four. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how many thousands of people are listening right now. There'll, there'll be some cornhole uh, in the front yard, probably, and uh, uh, can jam, and mm, I think there's one other game that the kids like to play, and I don't remember what that one's called, but yeah. cornhole and can jam, and probably something else. So oh, now, spike ball. That's it. Ah, spike ball. Okay. So now, is this the last child in high school? Uh, no, this uh, Avery's the middle child. So okay. Jackson graduated UB in May. Avery graduated high school in June, and Marin is going to be an incoming freshman this year. You like to spread it out, don't you? Yeah, Good yeah. Thinking. Seemed really great when they were young. Now, now that college bills are on the way, it's like, huh? Twelve years straight of college tuition. Like, hmm. <laughs> well. But, but, you know, the, pl- the plan is they're going to graduate uh, in less than four years each. So, you know. Just, it, just think of it serving your term concurrently. That's right. That's right. Well, no, consecutively. Yes, consecutive. Yes, it's consecutive. consecutive yeah. Yes. Because yeah. if it were concurrent, you would have. That would be like, three, having, be like three, having triplets. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that's right. There's not really a, a big, 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 huge downside to that, I guess. Gives you all the more time to spread the love to your children. That's right. All right, speaking of spreading love, Janet Yellen's spreading love over uh, overseas, isn't she? Yeah, what is yeah, she doing? That's that's one of the that's one of my notes. So yeah, you what, know, we are uh, we don't just share a first name; we uh, share little topics and, uh, without speaking it out loud. Yeah, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. 
uh, what to say, right? A goodwill tour, I guess. She's over in China trying to uh, – if you heard the the Fox News update at the top of the hour, even you know she's trying to have them not be uh, view us confrontationally with some of the changes we're making. You know things like trying to have semiconductors manufactured in our country instead of their country, and it'll continue. Certain um, trends like that will happen in the future. I would mention pharmaceuticals will eventually be a topic, but. Our drugs aren't really manufactured in China to speak of, so that doesn't really count. Um, but she's she's overseas. She's kind of glad-handing with uh, Chinese representatives, and I do believe she's meeting with President Xi. Um, and she's trying to say that, you know, look, we want to have relationships on trade and trade uh, situations that are fair and – it's not a case that we want to um, uh, not we, – we don't want to excommunicate China from our lives in terms of a trade partner. But we want to have a more fair situation as it relates to government oversight and interference and trade rules and tariff battles and on and on and on. Monetary manipulation. Yeah, right. You know, things like that. And uh, – We'll see. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, her role as Treasury Secretary is not creating rules and regulations in that way. That is Congress passing laws and the president's making trade uh, treaties, I guess the right word would be. Um, And it's not really the case of the Treasury Secretary's uh, having that power. But as the representative of the government, um, on financial matters, her her public statements certainly do carry a lot of weight. So, you know, I guess you'd say after the time of the pandemic where there were a lot of problematic uh, relationship issues there, prior to the pandemic, of, uh, of course, um, President Trump at that time had had a tariff battle, uh, which in most respects was really one-sided, you know, sort of like we started the tariff battle. Um, you know, so there's there's a opening there where after, you know, call it four years of difficult talk and relationships, maybe we can <laughs> sort of settle things down just a little uh, and, and, and maybe move it to a friendlier level. But who knows? You know, and then there's uh, just to sidetrack for a second. Then there's the the bigger talking point of China's an ally of Russia, and maybe we're just going to try to schmooze them a little bit on economic issues so that they play nicer uh, in terms of their relationship with Russia. Because of course, one of the concerns is that they start supplying weapons to Russia, given given all the sanctions on the Russian economy. Um, they, Russia does have some issues trying to create their own munitions and explosives and, uh, airplane parts and helicopter parts. And, uh, you know, if we can maybe schmooze China on the, uh, economic side, maybe they'll not supply those sorts of 
parts and services to Russia in the battle against Ukraine. So there's that, a, there's always lots of integrated talking points in there. That is a very optimistic statement. Sure. <laughs> I mean, that is optimism to the uh, nth, I suppose. But, you know, at least they're trying, I guess. That's right. Yeah. So it, it, and it's hard to say. You know, she's I, I did hear some of her speech and she's like, well, we want everybody to win here. And, and I suppose, you know, she does, but I just, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't know if she is uniquely qualified to, to be the mouthpiece of, of representing us, but, uh, we'll find out anyway. She's got the gig, so we're, we're in for it. We're in for, till the end. So on to the next. Is there anything more positive to talk about? I think there is. There's some good stuff. Well, you know, it's the beginning of the month, so you got jobs to talk about. Right. And uh, sort of a an interesting, um, oh, what to say, an interesting contrast between yesterday and today. Uh, there was a – there's a jobs report that comes out. Uh, on a Thursday at the beginning, and that's uh, ADP jobs report, and it looked like four. I'm doing this out of my memory. I don't have it in front of me. It was like 467,000 jobs looked like they were created last month. So the market yesterday dropped, selling off on the idea of like, oh my gosh, that the economy is roaring ahead. We're going to have more interest rate increases. So you had a little repositioning around around that information. Well, then today is the official statistics from the government um, for the month of June. And the jobs report was much more tame, uh, barely a couple hundred thousand jobs, uh, slowest month in two years. I was going to say a couple of years. I don't quite remember the detail on it again. I don't have it quite in front of me. Um, but it's a very manageable number, um, the the number that was announced at 207. Um, so when you look at yesterday to today and you say, well, if yesterday looked like 467,000 jobs and today looks at 207,000 jobs, where's the discrepancy? And I'd say, well, you know, they're each based on certain kind of estimates. And so if you think of the um, – the corrections that come out over time, what you'll probably see is that these government numbers do get elevated from this initial reading. And they'll probably move higher and they can move higher by many tens of thousands of jobs at times. Uh, and it's, again, just really based on the estimating that goes into creating the number to begin with. So I think if you take a – if you sort of take a – I don't know – semi-balanced view of the two numbers and you probably shrug your shoulders a little bit and say yeah well right now we know the economy is still creating jobs and really the argument is only is it growing a ton of jobs like the ADP number from yesterday or is it growing a modest number of jobs being a couple hundred thousand a month calling that modest Um, I think it all makes it's good enough sense you know, it's it's fine. It still pushes us in the right direction. The unemployment rate stays very low. Um, Jerome Powell, as chairman of the Federal Reserve, has come out over the last uh, about a week ago. And he said, like, look, we, we made a pause in interest rate uh, 
uh, it, we didn't make a move on interest rates either up or down this past time we paused, but that our estimates really point to us still moving rates higher in the future. <clears throat> and I would say the way these numbers look, maybe that's what happens, right? Maybe this is enough job creation that they do still look to move rates a little bit higher in the somewhere in the months ahead. You know, Powell's forecast was two more increases before year end. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball that's that crystal clear, but I would say sure. If we're going to create jobs at 300 or 300 and some thousand a month, then yeah, they're going to raise rates higher cuz that's where they view inflation coming from right now is that that the economy is so strong from a job creation standpoint that we're still keeping some elevated inflation. Whether, you know, whether that's a perfect relationship or not is is a different story. But that's what keeps moving the markets uh, sort of day-to-day or week-to-week is the when when new data points come out about interest rates, which would then have an effect on companies, on banks, on earnings, um, on estimates of uh, revenue growth, the market will try to respond to those those new data points. So, like in yesterday's uh, information, you know, banks were down a little bit. Uh, I think energy was up a smidge. Um, you know, and it's again sort of that fine tuning on a day to day basis of where it just digests the information. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's just kind of how the the world how, goes round, right? It works, it's just yeah. New info comes out. It's it's like finding out a you know a Bills player has an injury, and all of a sudden the the betting line moves ever so slightly, right? There's right. an adjustment to what that <clears throat> that weekend's game looks like. Um, yeah. As projections it, change, yes. Yeah, and exactly. so here the the uh, the market's constantly trying to find those economic pieces of data. To guide it either one way higher or one way a little lower. Sounds good. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Eric Connor from. He is the president, CEO, and chief bottle washer at Connor Wealth Management, and his uh, office is located at fifty-eight sixty Snyder Drive here in Lockport. And if you would like to have a consultation with Mister Connor, you can call his office at four three nine one one four three. That's four three nine. 1143. But until then, you can join the conversation here on the air by calling 433-1433. That's 433-1433. Pose your questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, whatever you want to talk about in the world of finance. Mr. Connor is ready and able to answer your questions. And if he doesn't know the answer, he will find out in a very short amount of time. So again, that's 433-1433. Three three to get in on the conversation here in WLVL thirteen forty AM and streaming live at WLVL.com. And don't forget if you ever miss any of the great programming here on Ask the Pro, all you have to do is go to WLVL.com, hit the podcast button, choose the date and the program that you would like to hear, and um you can go back for quite a while, several years actually, for all of the Ask the Pro programs. And so you can listen to Mr. Connor over and over and over again and listen to the, his dull tones and just go to – you can slumber by his uh, conversation. How are you doing over there, Eric? Um, my wife accuses 
She'll accuse me of putting her to sleep if I drone on too long, too. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you say that the right. I'm, I'm the cure for insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> well, did I buy you enough time to do the research you were doing over there? Yeah, sure. All right. Sure. So what, what were we doing over there? I, you were busily doing something. So I figured I better drone on myself for oh, a minute well, or two to get by a minute. You know, so there's a there's a, uh, a little cheat sheet that we use kind of have has interesting little talking points um and and two of them are are they are neat one is uh uh, about the the situation people have in home ownership and and there's a phrase getting thrown out there about being trapped in a low interest mortgage and what it means is that you're because there's so many people out here in the country with um, mortgages at really, really low, low levels, you know, in the 3% or 3.25% range, you're not likely to sell that house if you can avoid it, right? If you don't need to sell that house, you're not going to because the alternative is going into another mortgage at, call it 7% right now. So uh, no one's looking to have that, increase right? right if you could the, the the way the math works on that let's say you had a pretty nice home um 250 to three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and if you went from a three percent mortgage to a seven percent mortgage your payment would probably increase about eleven or twelve hundred dollars a month just because of the interest rate differential right Nobody's going to do that. And you'd, right, you'd be a crazy person to make that kind of swap. That's right. And so what you end up having is fewer houses on the market, and that keeps the pricing strong, right? So it partially uh, explains how we've had such an increase in interest rates, but yet we've had no real price weakness in the market. It's because we don't have a lot of supply of homes. Um, So... It's it's one of these data points that I've got in front of me. The the rate of sales is the low of existing homes, right? So not about new builds. The rate of sales has been the lowest in more than ten years. The, so in essence, really? the volume of sales is so low. We haven't been at this low volume in over a decade. But yet the prices are strong. And the prices are strong partially because of it, right? Because right. there just aren't a lot of homes on the actual market. Sure. So you might have, let's say you have 10 homes for sale, but you got 15 people looking. Right. I think we got a call. Yeah, let's see what the caller has to say about this. Good morning, caller. You are on WLVL with Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. What is your uh, question, comment, thought, or concern, please? Well, I have a comment, and I'm uh, probably a... Uh, uh, dark ages thinker but why did they ever lower these rates to the point they did if these rates would have never been lowered we wouldn't have this problem in the first place if they would have kept it up like five six percent you wouldn't have people over buying and we wouldn't have got to this point now where some people not i but a lot of people are in great pain now because uh it's hard to buy a house uh it's it's just it seems like it Maybe our economy would not have uh, uh, achieved what it, it has re- achieved over these years where it was uh, low interest, but it was artificial. We should have left it alone. And uh, 
that that's my just my comment. I'm sure you'll have another comment for it. But as a person who would put money in their bank, I didn't even want to do it because uh, the interest wasn't even worth putting in the bank. Uh, I just think it shouldn't have been lowered in the first place. And these people at the uh, Federal Reserve, I think they should think a little bit before they have to stimulate the economy every month by lowering or try to have it recovered by raising. So uh, I'll just hang up and listen to your comment. Thank you. Great. Thanks for the call. Yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful talking point right. of trying to figure out from uh, the Federal Reserve standpoint both what the caller is asking about of why did they take them down to rock bottom rates during the pandemic and rock bottom being basically zero on the short term interest rate, right? Which every one of us knows because you're savings account went to basically zero and if you had money in a cd it was almost zero and um what's what's the purpose of having it that low and so sort of the the short answer for me is saying the government was incredibly concerned uh, because of the shutdown in the economy that the the options that they have are not great. They're, they don't have a lot of options from the Federal Reserve. Um, they have a twin mandate of fighting, keeping inflation low, which is the challenge that they have right now, and a goal of full employment. And that doesn't mean that everybody has a job, but full employment is basically with a, around a 4% intro, um, unemployment rate. So when you have the pandemic come in the way it did and you have all these government force shutdowns, the Fed's response to that in terms of trying to find ways to keep the economy going so that money still traveled from your pocket to a retailer's pocket or to a manufacturer's pocket, they lowered rates to remove all of that interest rate what you would call interest rate friction and it obviously as the caller point out has a lot of negative side effects to it as well one of them being the interest you make on your money in the bank but the second part that ultra low interest rates does is it allows for high rates of speculation so not I'm not quite talking about the real estate side of things, but you also had a period of time where cryptocurrency really came into fashion. Well, that's because you yeah, basically had 0% interest rates, and so people would speculate on things like that. You also had a, new, a refreshed boom in uh, sports cards. You know, Suddenly, someone would open up a pack of cards and find a, a ultra-rare LeBron James autographed jersey card and it would be worth two million dollars well that's somewhat crazy i've been collecting cards for 40 years and that that's a crazy dollar amount so that's what happens you get this misallocation of capital when you have ultra low interest rates so to talk on the side of real estate for a second what happens is so many people will shop 
for a home partially based on what that monthly payment is. It's also proven that that's how people shop for vehicles as well, is that you're actually shopping for the payment. You're not shopping for the actual price of the vehicle. That's right. And that's, and that's how the salesman's going to sell you the car. Correct. That will qualify you before you even look at a car. Right. Let's see what you can afford to pay every month, and then we'll find you a car that will fit into those parameters. And it's it's and it's a horrible trick, and I'll use the word trick. It's a horrible trick because it isn't asking you what interest rate do you want to pay, right? No. It's simply saying how much can you afford to pay. Well, I can afford. Let, I'll I'll go to the car side for a second because the dollars are smaller. Let's say someone just goes in and says I can afford four four hundred a month. As a payment, well, four hundred a month at zero percent interest is a heck of a lot different than four percent with eight percent interest. That's right. That's a whole lot of car value over six or seven or eight years, depending on how long you're taking out that car loan for. That is a wide discrepancy in in what that final price is. So, if you only are stuck on the monthly amount, you will often get into a situation where you're, you are not paying fair value, whether it's a car, a truck, a tractor, a boat, or a house, as the caller pointed out. So what happened when you have ultra-low interest rates is suddenly you feel like, I can afford a bigger house because it's cheaper. And it's partially true that it's cheaper because you're not paying as much interest. Um, but as time goes on, as I was saying with the with – the, uh, trapped in a low rate mortgage comment uh you end up in a situation where you really don't you're kind of stuck in place right you're kind of your feet are kind of stuck in cement uh because you in essence can't afford to get out of that low rate mortgage because maybe the low rate mortgage allowed you to be in a you know four bed two and a half bath house of your dreams whereas if you suddenly needed to move a couple hours away for work all of a sudden you can't get the four bed two and a half bath house of your dreams now you're in the three bed one bath uh <laughs> shoebox right Three like it's a, a much a much different scenario uh because you've gone from having the low interest rate mortgage to now the the higher rate interest mortgage and you just can't afford it you can't afford that higher value house at the time right so, you know, the caller says, why do they do it? And I will just say, like, even now when they're raising rates to fight inflation, they only have so many tools in their toolbox. And one of them is cutting rates as times are bad and raising rates when times are too good. If you do that in air quotes, they raise rates when they think the economy is overheating, when inflation perks up. But it's not always the best way to fight those ills that they view in the economy. Um, but they don't have a lot of other solutions, right? So they they use the lever of interest rates going up or interest rates going down, and there's not too much else that they that they really can do. Now, uh, they have other mechanisms to to work with. Uh, banks when like in the housing crisis of 08 into 09 they have lots of uh ways to go in and create funding mechanisms that keep banks liquid or create liquidity saying in a different way um but that 
that does not affect you and I as just normal citizens trying to save a few bucks in the bank or um, find that mortgage that's at a cheap rate uh, on a on a more balanced standpoint. So, you know, if you just ask them in a press conference, hey, you know, do you think it's really healthy that two years ago you could get a 30-year mortgage at 3% and today you get a 30-year mortgage at 7 I mean, they would sit there and absolutely tell you that that is not a great outcome, but they don't have a lot of other ways to fight the battle that they're trying to fight. Um, and, you know, they've been at it for what I think the Federal Reserve was probably founded around World War One, if memory serves somewhere in there. 1913, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think I, I think, think it's right in there. Was the Fed, was and. And, you know, you think, well, geez, after a hundred and some years, you probably should have a little different way. And and they've certainly evolved over time. But, you know, if I sit there and just simplify it down and say they basically just have that one lever of move interest rates higher, move interest rates lower, you think, hmm, maybe there's a way we could improve this. I don't know what it is. I'm not predicting anything out of my mind, but you'd hope that eventually we come up with a little bit better method of, of handling these things. You, you would think so, because you, know, you, you said, you know, the toolbox is in the box. Let's throw away the box and think think outside of parameters yeah. and big pictures. But I guess that's the think tanks don't want to do that. They like to stay within the, within the parameters of their comfort zone, yeah. I suppose. Well, and, they, and the think tanks often just get people that think like them. Yeah, you know, so you have the the Republican style think tank, you have the Democrat style right. think tank, and you don't really get them too much in the middle, trying to figure out something that makes more sense for everybody involved. Um, you know, it's kind of like a walled off territory, right? So you get locked into um, the Grover Norquist side of the world, who says he will never support any tax increase, no matter what it is. So, and I always just say, so if times are really, really good, we're not going to tax. But if times are really, really bad, we're not going to tax. And if times during peace, we're not going to tax. And if times during war, we're not going to tax. We're never going to create any situation where we're ever going to tax more. Like it just, to me, it just becomes a nonsensical argument that you can just never have a situation where a tax increase would ever make sense. Because the other side doesn't work either, saying... I always want a tax decrease. Can't always have a tax decrease. Doesn't make any sense either. So, you right. well, you know, in in my mind's eye, it, it it goes back to the truth. People say that they want the truth, and in fact, they do not want the truth. They want a opinion coming out of someone else's mouth that represents what they're thinking. Yeah, and that's their opinion, their idea of what the truth is, and so. Seeking the truth and actually seeking the truth are two entirely different conversations. Yeah. Because truth is biased. If you want to hear what you want to hear. Correct. If, if, if your version of the truth is simply being told what you already think, that's not necessarily right, right. what's and correct. That is the majority of the people on either side of the aisle, doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, yeah. that, that is what I have observed. Yeah, I mean, that's generally how you end up with the ratings that you end up with on, like, cable news, right? You've you've got very distinct personalities that listen, which is sort of always interesting when you think of my field. 
and you sort of say, well, really, the only game in town is sort of CNBC, which isn't totally true because there is Bloomberg, but it's not as commonly carried. And so it's 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 a distant number, too. So you end up with CNBC and uh, and and they try to reach across the aisle on 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 uh, political topics. And if you ever see their feedback, you know, if they've got. If they've got uh, Ted Cruz on or Paul Ryan was on the other day, you know, they get feedback that people don't want to see them. And then on the times when they've got a Democrat on there, then then people are mad that they've got the Democrat on there talking those talking points and say, well, you know, at the end of the day, how else are you going to debate tax policy if you don't involve both <laughs> both political parties? It's it kind of comes with the territory. That you've got to have both voices because that's in the end how you end up with any past legislation as it relates to taxes and the economy, right? So by default, you've got to have both of those voices. You may not like the person that they chose to interview, but you've got to have both voices there. Agreed. Yeah. you, You can't make a decision until you've heard both sides because, you know, there's three sides to every story, his side, her side, and the truth. So you have to, you know, discernment, you have to have your own discernment to figure out what you think the actual truth is. So speaking of truths, it is true that we are speaking with Eric Conner from Conner Wealth Management this morning. It is also true that his office is located at 5860 Snyder Drive. And you can call his office for a consultation concerning your wealth management by calling 439-1143. That's 439 1143. Now, we're halfway through the year. So that is a, a, a good thing, I suppose. And uh, stocks and bonds have been up and they've been down. But they're still, if we if we go through the, the trends, they're actually up for the year, right? A bit? Yeah, so you've had the, you've had the NASDAQ start out incredibly strongly. Um, last year was definitely strange, right? We had a lot of interest rate increases and you had the market respond negatively to that, which in and of itself is not a surprise. You get a valuation adjustment lower when rates move higher, so not a surprise. But one of the things that happened from last year was how badly some of the big tech names really did take it on the chin like a boxer um, just getting punched. And so you had really dramatic changes in stocks like Amazon and Google, which is Alphabet, um, Meta, which is Facebook. Um, NVIDIA had a terrible year last year. But here they are this year, and you've got increases in some of those stocks that are really, really dramatic. NVIDIA is up well over 100% year-to-date. Um Meta is having a fantastic year as Facebook goes. And you have the NASDAQ for the first half of the year. It's its best opening six months in 40 years since 1983, which can't trick me. That's Ronald Reagan era stuff, pre-crash of 87 stuff. That is is a heck of a statistic to know that. Even in the internet boom years that the NASDAQ did not have the increase it did in this first six months. 
And I will say, though, the caveat to that is knowing that it's because last year was bad for those stocks. And so one of the things that I talk to clients about all the time is that when you've got those badly negative results, very often that's what creates the groundwork for the next year being an above average year. Okay. And, that, and that's what we're seeing play out so far. So the NASDAQ's had a great start to the year. It's not very broad-based. It's in a lot of the names you know and that I've already said, the Amazons, Microsoft, uh, Facebook parent, Meta, um, NVIDIA, Apple's had a good start to the year, all that, right? All these names that we know. Tesla has has uh, recovered wonderfully from its lows. You love it or hate it, but it's you know basically doubled off its it's doubled off its lows. So you say, okay, well that's that's great. Nasdaq's had its best start in forty years. What about the rest of the market? And that's when you sort of shrug your shoulder and go, hey, yeah, that, 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 they've done okay. You know, you get a little less. Uh, uh, optimistic in that fashion. So the broad markets, when you then look at the S&P 500, they've gone off to a nice start, right? Not is it super? Is it the greatest thing since sliced bread? No. Um, but they've gotten off to a decent start. And then um, I don't have the number in front of me, but I think the Dow Jones Industrial Average is actually sort of the the kookier one uh, of the three averages that people usually follow, the NASDAQ, the S&P, and the Dow. Uh, I think the Dow is actually up only a few percentage points, like six or seven points year to date. Uh, the S&P, I think, was up around 15 or 16 percent for the beginning of the year, which is excellent. It is excellent. It's, but it's funny to know that the Nasdaq's basically at 30, call it the S&P's at about half that, and then the Dow is even less, and I'm pretty sure they were only in that six or seven percent range. So, uh, a bit of a grab bag uh, outside of, say, the top seven or eight tech names. You know, you got off to a good start, but you didn't shoot the moon. Um, but if you're in the right names so far this year, you're really, really, really pleased. So, you know, in the past, I've talked about semiconductors being um, sort of the real growth runway into the future. Um, they had a very rough year last year, NVIDIA being one of the participants there, Micron being one of the participants there, advanced micro devices. They had a tough year last year, but so far this year, they're doing spectacularly well, right? So um, a fund that we have in some of our aggressive portfolios, um, it's year to date gain is something like 62%, which, you know, that's not going to repeat. And I know compliance is going <laughs> to, compliance hears me throw that number out and goes, oh my gosh. But, you know, it, for last year, it was down probably 35 or 40%. Yeah. And, and this year it's up, right? And again, you sometimes have those bad years. And that lays the groundwork for an above average return the next year, right? And it, and look, it doesn't mean anything for what the next six months is going to be or the next year is going to be. But when it, it's those lessons that sort of repeat over and over of, of if the market's bad, do you want to wait it out 
do you want to sell when you're really nervous? You know, you got that horrible feeling in your stomach because you're down, you know, 15 or 20 percent. Or do you want to say, okay, I've lived through this before. I know it feels horrible, but if I just can tough it out and wait three months, six months, nine months, it, it might be better. And this is another one of those examples of that's how it's played itself out. And, you know, I've joked in the past saying, and I probably would have done it last October or November of December, and said, look, I don't know when it's going to turn around. But that's how history shows we, we, you know, right, we have an ebb and a flow and we come back from lows and move higher. And that's what we've seen here. And so the things that took it, the wor- took the worst beating last year have moved up nicely this year, right? And this is a, these are all legit companies. It's not pure speculation like someone trying to buy a bankrupt stock for six cents and hope it goes to ten cents and declare that they made a ton of money. Like that's all – that's pure random gambling speculation, dumb luck, right? Like mm-hmm. we're talking real companies, real earnings, um, real futures ahead of them. Uh, and sometimes they get put on sale for certain reasons. And last year, the reason was the interest rate increases. So, you know, for for uh, positions that we held and hung in there or averaged down on, meaning buying some more at a lower price, some of those positions are really, really paying off nicely for clients right now. But it wasn't fun last year when it was down as much as it was, right? It sure wasn't. You know, because I sure haven't recuperated yet from it. No, and 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 that's the thing, right? So even saying again about those averages, yeah, Nasdaq doing great, but at the other side is the Dow, not participating nearly as much because it's much more diversified, right? The Dow has oil and technology and utilities and telecom, mm-hmm. you know, and so if you've been owning. Uh, let's say telecom, right, which is generally the Verizon, AT&Ts of the world, those stocks have paid you a dividend over the years, but they have not performed well at all. And even in this last couple-year stretch, I think Verizon has gone from, call it $60 a share to about $35 a share. I mean, that's almost a 50% decline. You've earned a nice dividend along the way, but it sure doesn't cushion that big a decline. No, it's a big hit. Yeah. And, you know, again, the idea of saying, is Verizon going to go out of business? No, they're not going to go out of business. They still have earnings. They still have some growth. They're paying you that dividend. But it sure the market sure doesn't want to pay up for it. And so it's just drifted lower right. and lower and lower. And AT&T's had the same sort of behavior. Uh, there's a company called Lumen, which most people don't. It used to be uh, CenturyTel, CenturyLink as well. Um, and kind of the only reason anyone knows their name is because they sponsor the Seattle Seahawks Stadium. Uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, T-Mobile um, probably has been the best behaved of those telecom stocks. But even that's not done anything so didn't you they, know didn't they absorb a couple of smaller uh, yeah companies? so that's uh that was they sprint sprint and, uh, and t-mobile combined and and of course sprint had rolled up um nextel years right. ago 
uh, auto racing fans would would remember how that sponsorship has changed over the years. Right. Um, so yeah, depending, you know, you say like you haven't recovered yet. You know, if if you if you're in the certain areas, utilities haven't been very perky. Um, certain real estate has not done well. So you know, most of the gain this year has been the recovery of those big tech names, mm-hmm. and it sort of proves the point of saying, where does my diversification need to come from? Where am I looking for growth? Right. So most of the last few years, it's been on the side of tech. We have a little bit of growth showing up in healthcare. Um, we got, it's at the end of the show. We could we could have a topic on the the weight loss revolution for the the different companies out there with the Ozempics of the world and Manjaro's. Right. Th- those companies have uh, really perked up. But, you know, most of healthcare has been very problematic for, for several years. The, right. the pandemic didn't help it at all. Um, so it's, it's always interesting, right? It's just always interesting trying to navigate the information we've got and build portfolios and uh, try to grow clients' assets. That's right. We'll never be bored. No. And, and as, like you said, you know, history tells us that we'll be okay. Yeah, you you know, you need to if you're in a diversified situation, time is the only question that's in there, right? If you buy something uh an individual holding that goes to zero, well obviously you're just out of the running on that, right? It went right. to zero. But if you're diversified, it's a matter of what's your run, time runway and and how do you hang in there and meet your needs in the meantime? Right. Yeah. Well, it's always an interesting show, Eric. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your uh, busy schedule of preparing for graduation parties and trimming bushes to uh, yeah. to make it to us. We're going to do it again in two weeks because we are the first and the third Friday of every month with Eric Connor and Connor Wealth Management. And don't forget, if you, if you would like a consultation with Mr. Connor, give him a call at 439-1143-439-1143. Final thoughts? you got about uh, 15 seconds. Oh, enjoy the weather it's summertime get out there and enjoy the festivals and have a beef on weck or an italian sausage and drink something cold all right that's good advice i will see you next time folks